This is episode 116 of Reconcile the Isle. What on earth is going on? Rocket Man. Puerto Rico. Russia, 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 Russia. Eight accusers, several allegations. Thousands of cases. Charlottesville. Horrific shooting. Deadly school shooting. The third deadly mass shooting in a week. Category four. California wildfires. Entire ecosystems are collapsing. Government shutdown. I've never seen this country divided like this. This is astounding to me. Reconcile the Isle. Welcome to Reconcile the Isle, where my characters and I are figuring out how we can have meaningful dialogue about difficult topics. My name is Lauren Lojudice. Today, we're going to speak with special guests Rick Kampfer and David Stern from Escar Press. But first, let's do our Stupid People segment. For those who are new here, it's the part of the podcast where we salute stupidity, because what unites us across all boundaries of race, religion, political party, nationality, sexual orientation, etc., etc., what unites really the world is that every single human hates stupid people. So here's our stupid people. Well, one of the stupid things I want to talk about is... um you know, the light changes and it's a red light. And, you know, there's a person in front of you and then you're behind them and it's a red light. And, you know, sometimes it happens. I do it too. You know, you start looking for something in your car or you're not paying attention or, you know, these people start texting. You could tell they're texting because their head is down. They're not moving any other part of their body. But, you know, all right. So now the light turns green. So you give them... Like, I think a New York minute is, is, I forget, it's either 9 or 11 seconds is they timed what a New York minute is. So you give them three or four seconds, which is a third of a New York minute, and they don't move. So you beep the horn, that's all. Now, if I was the first car and I was looking for something and I wasn't paying attention, they beep the horn, they're right, and I, I go. Instead, these people give you the finger, like they stick it up by the rear view mirror. You know what I mean? How do I know you didn't have a fucking heart attack and or you fucking had a seizure? You know, I could be saying that the light for three days. I wish one time after I beat the horn, I don't get the finger and the car don't move. Or they give me the finger and then they don't move the car. That's why I get out of my car, go to their car, and I see. I'll rip their fucking rear view mirror off, put it under their nose to see if they're breathing. And if they're dead, then it's a good day for me because I get the call, not 911, I called the fucking coroner's office to remove the body and one less fucking moron, inconsiderate bastard on the road. Problem one solved for today. What's next? <laughs> okay. Well, how many rectums do we give this person? The people who texted the light and then give a finger. How many rectums? Are just two. Just two. Yeah. Wow. People are just so stupid. Let's go to the interview with special guests Rick Hamfer and David Stern. So a bit about them. Rick is a co-founder and publisher at Eckhart's Press. In addition to being the publisher, he's also the author of several of their releases, including Every Cub Ever, Father Knows Nothing, Records Truly Is My Middle Name with John Records Landecker, and The Living Wills with Brandon Sullivan. Rick has been published several times before, including a novel called Severance and a how-to book about radio called The Radio Producer's Handbook. He was also a member of the media for more than 20 years as a producer of two highly acclaimed radio shows, Steve Dahl and Gary Meir, and John Records Landecker. 
and still covers the industry as a media critic for the Illinois Entertainer. He has watched the media landscape change over the past 30 years with from a front row seat. We'll talk about that today, too. And he's excited to use that experience as the publisher of Eckhart's Press. David Stern is the co-founder and publisher of Eckhart's Press and the author of The Balding Handbook. After a 20-plus year sales and marketing career and a 10-year stint as the principal in a Chicago advertising agency, Sturm comes to Eckhart's Press uniquely qualified to tackle the realities of an ever-changing publishing landscape. He and Kampfer have been collaborating in one form or another since they met at the University of Illinois in the early 1980s. Stern is also one of the officers of Eckhart's Press parent company, Just One Bad Century, Inc., and proud to call himself a lifelong city boy Chicagoan. If you're wondering about the inside of the publishing industry and why making sure unique voices get a platform is so, so, so important, then this episode is for you. Stay around to the end to get this episode's giveaway. And you can always sign up at laurenlogie.com slash podcast to get the link to all the wonderful things that my guests and I give away for free to subscribers. And you'll get reminders when we publish this every other week. Now, my co-host to this podcast is Melania Trump, and she can't do the interview today and be with us because she's still quarantining in her glam room, but she's going to give us some White House updates. Oh, hello, Lauren. So much going on in the White House. Oh, you have no idea the oppression I have felt. My Donald says he wants to tour around the country in an RV with me, but I don't do work in cars anymore. It took my Donald 3.5 years, but he has finally built a wall around the White House. I watched Michelle Obama's documentary and was so inspired I brought a book called Becoming. And there are always more updates at themelaniashow.com. All right. Okay. So let's go to the interview with Rick Camper and David Stern. Rick and Dave, welcome to Reconcile the Isle. Hello. 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 You two both are book publishers. So tell us how you came to create your company and what motivates you to do it. I started uh, looking for a publisher for my book. I've written several books. My first two books came out uh, with traditional New York publishers, and it was a giant pain in the butt. And, and so I wanted to figure out a way to get my own stuff published. And somebody suggested self-publishing. And I didn't like that idea. So I figured out how to do it myself and talked to my buddy Dave here. And we decided to form a company. And that's how it happened. I had 25 years of experience in the paper and, pr- and publishing industry from the manufacturing side. So it became a really very easy marriage between the two of us as far as our different skill sets. And at the time that we started this, about eight years ago, we were in the midst of the great you know, recession, and there were a lot of stories that needed to be told. Publishers weren't willing to tell the stories because of the profit points that they were all needing to have. And when we, we figured out a model where if you cut out a lot of those, pro, you know, the, the middleman per se, and go direct to the consumer, we were able to offer our services to authors that need to have their stories told. Yeah. yeah. And once we started the company, we started hearing from all these other Chicago authors that uh, were interested. And, you know, we are basically a Chicago company and that's not a small market. Yeah. And now we're expanding because we have a, a new book out from 
Lauren right here. It's your, we did your book. Yes. Yes. And you also, I would say like you make it not a pain in the ass. <laughs> Thank like, you. That's the nicest thing anyone said about us. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to invite my wife on the zoom call right now and you can tell her that too, please. That would be great. <laughs> yeah. You kind of just make, like really just smooth out the process. So it's just very, very streamlined about how we're well, talking you. about it. Well, you've been a joy to work with and we really appreciate and and so now like we're you're getting to to publish unique voices so now in terms of like creating public dialogue and that's something we try to focus on in this podcast how do we create more of that how do you feel like that's helped or not i'm a big proponent of storytelling right and giving more voices and giving more you know giving a platform for authors that may not have the ability or I wouldn't say the word ability, but just don't have the resources of self-publishing the book or they don't know how to do it. You know, we're creating stories that will resonate with people and do create, you know, dialogue. We tend to look at all books that we're doing as not only what the reader is going to get out of it, but what the dialogue, what the discussion after the purchase is. Do you know what I mean? It's like a post-purchase. One of the reasons why we're uh, drawn to memoirs, we have a lot of memoirs in our catalog, is because everyone has a story to tell. And when it's your personal story, you're selling yourself too. And that's, to me, a very easy sell when you're going out on tour to promote it. Mm -hmm. And then you also have a speaker's bureau with the book publishing. And how does that work in terms of getting people's messages out? A good chunk of our net retail sales or, or um, purchase um, profit points is from book signings. Uh, we sell a lot of books where speakers and our authors will talk to libraries or, you know, we do quite a few events in bars, for instance. Get them liquored up, Lauren, and they'll buy more. <laughs> okay. That, that never that, fails. Yeah, right. Uh, but there are a lot of organizations that are looking for speakers. And a lot of these organizations can't really pay for speakers. So especially in a Chicago on a provincial level, having a Chicago author is a great way to you know, establish a rapport with the community, depending upon what it is that the organization's mission statements are and visions are. So we, we've had a great luck. We've had great luck in that kind of, you know, the story telling your story in front of people on a one-to-one -one basis through and, and a lot of our authors are our local chicago celebrities and so they bring in a crowd and so yeah. people enjoy that but i found too i'm wondering if you're finding this too in terms of like the, the thought of like selling stuff one-to-one -one, is that the internet is so inundated with with everything that the way to get people's like to join your team, to buy your stuff, to, to come to your, it's all like one on one, like being live with them is this, it's nothing like it. And it definitely trumps like a, like a Facebook ad, you know, people want and, and they want to support you. And so when they see you performing and giving them something like from the stage, they want to buy your book mm -hmm. yeah, or sign up for your email list. Like I get right. so many people like, old school, like pad and paper who come up to me. Now I use my phone. I have an app on my phone for people to sign up, but that's how people like get interested in what I'm doing. And it's, it's that like one-on-one -on -one time. 
I think yeah. Rick said earlier, when it's your story that you are telling in front of people, you become extremely passionate about it. Yeah. And you're, it's, you know, as far as there are authors that are uncomfortable selling in that kind of, in that traditional transactional way, like you had just mentioned, it's, it's a community, right? And supporting, you know, especially with, with books, books are a very personal product and authors and people that love books, they connect, you know, they, they, they have a shared sensibility. And that's, I think, really our model. And I think that especially with something like a book mm-hmm. uh, and music, that, that to me is almost the only way that you can really connect with your audience is in a one-to-one. Um, Which is why you're like a dream author for us, because you like to go out and do events. And that was one of the big selling points is we know that you're going to be out there pushing this and you've got something to say. Well, thank you. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it just, it's almost like um, a book enables you to have a platform on which to promote your message. And like by publishing authors who might not get published by other people, your unique voices, you're allowing people to have the platform. Mm -hmm. Right. It's like allowing diverse force. So, and just, this is a little bit off topic for our like niche of podcasts, but I feel like there are always people out there going, I always wanted to write a book. Mm -hmm. So to give them a little insight of like, what are some mistakes they should avoid to save them some time off the bat? I would say that the first draft, put your first draft on paper and don't worry about punctuation. Don't worry about if this is perfect or if it's too long. In fact, we just talked to an author today on our podcast whose original manuscript was 387,000 words or something, and the book is now 110,000 words, right? Uh, That's okay. Don't think it has to be perfect. Just start writing. Never send us your first draft, (laughs) right? Because, I mean, uh, you're just relieved that it's done. After spending however many months on it, and I know I've been there myself, but believe me, when you go back and read it, you're going to need to go over it at least two or three times. But just to do it. I mean, there's a lot of people that are scared to tell their story. Get it on, well, I was going to say on paper, but that's way too old school. Get it on your (laughs) computer. Get it out there and you'll be amazed then, you know, how that whole process of just expunging it out of your brain will create more often than not a rich story and a rich narrative. Yeah. Great. Absolutely. And then, and then how about developing their book? Like, should there, there anything should they should think about in terms of the right way to develop it? Cause you can write it, you write it all out and then you need to figure out how to. Yeah. You need to have somebody else look at it to give you their insight, whether it's an editor or a trusted friend or somebody that you think, can tell you the truth. For me, I always use my wife because she's not afraid of <laughs> telling me what she really thinks. Can we get her on the Zoom call too? <laughs> <laughs> but you need that. You have to have somebody say, yeah, you know what? That doesn't make sense. Or you didn't explain that. Or, you know, why aren't you covering this? You know, it, it just a different set of eyes. That's what yeah. I do with our company is when our authors uh, send it, I like to read all of them and send my notes about what I think can be improved or tweaked on it. And I, I spend a lot of time and effort on that because that's such an important element. 
Absolutely. I remember when I, when I, after my first draft, I locked myself in a hotel room in Key West to like, be like, if I, let's see if I can, my, my partner had a thing down there and I was like, let me go. And I could just use this as like a like total retreat. And I was going to see if I could figure out if I could write a book. And I came out with something and showed a trusted friend, my comedian Radhika Vaz. And she was like, you're apologizing. Stop. I was apologizing for my, like, stop it. Just say it, just say it. And then that like totally changed the whole book. And then again, when we started working together, you read it and you were like, I need more. And then I had to go like more layers down. So it's just, um, you, you can't see it yourself. Definitely. And that's true of everybody. Stephen King has a, as an editor that he works with. Yeah. Who says, uh, you know, ixnay on this or whatever, you know, everybody needs one. Absolutely. I think part of me is too, like, because you kind of want it over with because it's so much. Right. You want it to I, I always say by the time my books come out that I wrote, I absolutely hate them. <laughs> Every time. Like, I don't want to see that again. <laughs> absolutely. Now, Rick, you had so much experience in radio and I, I wanted to talk about that because um, that industry is, is completely changed. And now yeah. we have the podcast revolution and um, get a sense. Well, I guess first, if you could just kind of state some of the obvious about how that, how it has changed. Well, it, it, it started changing about 20 years ago when the uh, Telecommunications Act was passed and they allowed owners to own multiple radio stations. Yeah. So it used to be that you could only own two radio stations in a market. So you'd have this diversity of ownership. Now, like in Chicago, we have one company that owns eight radio stations and they're all in one hallway. And, you know, there's really not, they're not autonomous at all. And they cut staff to, to, to cover, you know, multiple stations. And the product on the air is not nearly as good. Mm. And that's nationwide. Yeah. And also, how about the, does that change the diversity of voices that they... During the, the coronavirus, they're not making any advertising revenue. So they're cutting people left and right. We just had a conversation with a friend of ours who does, uh, used to do nights at the rock station here. And he was let go, even though he was number one in the ratings. Just for wow. saving money. Wow. How do you think that's changed like the voices that are even available over the radio? Well, there's only a handful of them because they are syndicated nationally, right? Those guys that are in it and are syndicated nationally, they're making a fortune, but no one else can get a job. Yeah. And then there's more competition because there's podcasts. Do they even see that as competition? No, they don't because they're stupid. Just in general. Dave and I were just talking about this. When satellite radio showed up like 10 years ago or 15 years ago, Radio stations allowed them to advertise their product on radio, which was, you know, advertising for their competitors to take over. And they lost a ton of listeners that way, but they made some money. It was always short-sighted. Wow. Yeah. I, th I think part of, and I'm coming from the listener standpoint, one of the things that I love about radio is it's local, right? I get to know the personalities, right? Yeah. I get to know about their families and talk radio. I used to, I love listening to talk radio, but I don't really want to necessarily listen to the guy in from New York or LA. Yeah. I want the guy in Chicago yeah. that is dealing with the same things I am. And I think Rick had mentioned me that short-sighted um, approach that radio 
and all media has been short-sighted. I mean, newspapers are in a horrible quandary as well. There's a certain arrogance to it, I think. You know, it's that nothing's going to happen to radio. We're, you know, we're radio. The thing about it is, uh, as far as podcasts go, is radio, if they were smart and they had, when they had all this talent, they should have been doing podcasts already. They had that talent to put podcasts together. They would be sitting pretty right now, but they, mm-hmm. it was too short-sighted. They were too short-sighted. Yeah. And then I kind of think about it like people are now in their own like podcast wormhole. Like if you only listen to like you're only you're on Facebook and Internet and Google and you're all all in your like Internet bubble and then you go in your car and you don't listen to radio in your podcast bubble because you're only listening to certain voices. Yeah, It's like I don't know when you'd ever get a chance to like hear something, another viewpoint. Great point. Yeah. And I think social media has been, you know, we all tend to gravitate to people like us, right? That's the whole basis of all social media, social identity theory, right? Is we tend to, you know, we we like our echo chambers, right? And you're right. It is a, and you guys, what you just said is, it is a huge problem breaking through that clutter and that that wall, right? And actually, uh, you know, politics being the way it is now, you know, I've had lifelong friends that I never discussed politics with. I didn't even know where their politics lied until they got on social media. And I'm like, oh, yeah. I couldn't talk to this guy anymore. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Like, I actually don't like you. I had no idea. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But if it's somebody that I've known a long time, I make a point of not disconnecting because if it's somebody I trust, I know that they're a good person. They just have different political beliefs than me. It's good to hear what those political beliefs are, even if I disagree with them. Yeah. And I guess I'm, I'm thinking of like all the people in my family who are like rabid Trump people. I'm like, well, yeah, got those two. well yeah. ranty posts, unless they're ranty posts or overly yeah. emotional. That's where I draw the line. I'm like, mm-hmm. right. <laughs> Unfollow. <laughs> yeah. 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 You can't, you can't get rid of your family though. That's the problem. I know. I know. You just don't have to look at anything they do on social media. Well, that's true. <laughs> the advanced yeah. tools. And if they still do a good bean dip for Thanksgiving, great. You can still yes. enjoy the you can enjoy their dish. Right. The really? carrot salad is still good. Yeah, yeah bring the stuffed mushrooms. And, <laughs> and then that's it. And great. shut your pie hole. <laughs> great. So where can people find out more about the publishing work you do? And you have a podcast as well, correct? We do. Which I've been on. I've been on. You have. Um, it's called Minutia Men. We're on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network if you want to look us up. And if you want to find out more about Eckhart's Press, it's E-C-K-H-A-R-T-Z Press.com. Great. Sounds good. I will think. Thank you so much for joining us. And um, we'll catch up with you um, in Chicago when I come through with my show. Hopefully, hopefully we'll get the tour. Yeah, it'd be great. Do something with COVID. Can you can you stop the COVID thing here? And we'll, yeah. if you can do that, we'll be happy to. Okay, uh, I'll just nice. the magic wand. That would be great, please. <laughs> like Thursday would be great. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yesterday. Okay. Cool. Well, thank you all. Thanks, Lauren. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, Melania, are you gonna start your tell-all, super salacious, my time in the White House Trump book? I already wrote it. Really? It's very short.
Okay, what does it say? One word, in fact. Huh. Be best. (sighs) Just when I have hope you get it, Melania, you disappoint. Isn't that be best? All right, so (laughs) for the rest of us, let's think about this. Publishing unique voices allows diverse people to have a platform that everyone needs an editor no matter what. And if you're thinking about writing a book, do it, do it, do it, do it, and then get the right help. And also, let's keep in mind that changes in listening media affect what information people receive and who gets to share their message and who's hearing certain messages. That's really important to think about. Let me know what you think. Now, before we go into the I Don't Care Do You segment, I'd like to do two things. First, I want to encourage everyone to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It really, really helps other people find us. Second, I want to tell you that you can follow Reconcile the Isle on my Twitter and Instagram at Lauren Logi, L-O-G-I. And do consider signing up at laurenlogie.com slash podcast to get the free stuff from me and my guests. This episode, we're giving away an ebook, Rick's Father Knows Nothing. It's a really funny book about his experience raising his sons. And you get to see it for a limit of time. It's actually coming up on Father's Day on Sunday, if you're listening to this, when it comes out. And this will be available for the next two weeks. So go on over there and get your ebook now. Also, when you're on my website, you're going to find out the other exciting things going on. Like we talked about my book Inside Melania, what I learned about Melania Trump by impersonating her is coming out in the end of June and we'll be on tour with the Melania Trump Roadshow. Get out the vote and get me out of the White House of Garbage sometime before the election. Listen, we have to learn how to have public dialogue again. The world's on fire and we've got to talk about it. And there is no better way to understand the importance of this by reading the headlines. So, Melania, give us the top headlines in the I Don't Care Do You segment. Here's all the things that I don't care do you about. Wildfires have started again. It's now hurricane season. Don't worry, I have lots of paper towels. There's lots of fighting over statues across the country. Now some are beheaded. I hope the similarity of my life and Marie Antoinette's ends before something like that. Donald is now going to gather thousands of people at his rallies and is making people agree that if they get corona, they can't sue him. Ironic, I know. But I don't care, do you? Thank you to everyone who has made this podcast possible. Thank you to Sophia Reyes-Jones for editing, to Devin Edwards for creating the intro, Christopher Catalano for the voiceover, Maddie McLennan for making the podcast art, And a shout out to Alan Waters, Danny Holtz, and Craig Franson, who helped me to conceptualize this podcast. And of course, thank you to Rick Camper and David Stern for being such wonderful guests. See you in two weeks.